What's going on, guys? This is Jordan from the Undergraduate Survival Guide. Today we have a super special guest in Shana <laughs> Smith. Here. Uh, this must be the only the second super time. Super special, yeah, big man. hype today. <laughs> the university ambassador, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> stop! Stop right there. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what the second time I'm doing it. One in person. Uh, I've actually come out today to Gloucester, which is really good placement. This is actually a very nice city. We did a nice walk earlier. So we'll talk about Gloucester at some point in the end for people who want to come to Gloucester for whatever reason. Uh, I don't know why. You can give us a, a lowdown on that. Maybe. Maybe you might <laughs> want to come to Gloucester. Maybe not. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Chanel, uh, what's up? How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Finally have my exams out of the way, but you're still working. Well, as of yesterday you were. Yeah, so um, I'm currently in Gloucester. So I'm doing my elective um, at Gloucester and Cheltenham Hospital. Um, and I've basically been in the eye clinic and um, in theatres and things, getting a lot of clinical experience, um, doing a lot of projects. So yeah, essentially I'm just wrapping up everything for my medical degree and hoping that I will graduate in maybe a week's, two weeks time, nice. which is crazy. So, Do you know if you're going to get a real like in-person graduation? So essentially what they've said is our graduation will be online, um, but we're having in-person events. So we'll have um, an event um, at St. George's Cathedral, I think it's called, mm. where we're just going to say the oath. So at the start of med school, <laughs> we basically made this promise that we would like act ethically, um, but it's just like a really nice um, thing that you do like at the start and the end of med school. Um, and it's nice because everyone all says it's together. Oh. Um, and then the day after that, we have our graduation ball as well. So to be honest, I was just grateful that even though the um, graduation itself is not in person, we still had events because that was more than what last year got. And um, the online graduation apparently is not a replacement. It's just going to be an addition. So I think hopefully we might actually get an in-person graduation at some point, but I'm not sure when that will be. That'd be so good. I feel like, I mean, obviously I'm not close to graduating yet, but having closure, especially for medicine, like six, seven years, like mm. that must be such a nice moment where it's like, you know, saying the oath, as you mentioned. Yeah. Just knowing that, you know what, all that work I put in has amounted to this and now I can go on and, yeah. I mean, do more studying, I guess. Yeah. Oh <laughs> God. Medic, yeah. Don't remind me. <laughs> um, yeah. No, essentially I think, um, it is definitely nice that we have some form of in-person event because I think that's actually what I cared about the most because you kind of want to just say bye to everyone and have that final kind of hurrah together because I guess you've had, well, I've had five years of being at Bristol, which is, you know, a really long time. Yeah. Um, and to just kind of leave and not say goodbye to everyone would be really sad because we're ultimately all going to different parts of the country now. So... Yeah, it's just nice to have that last goodbye, I think. It's nice. How does it feel? Because I always felt like the medicine group was super close. Uh, but it's, it sounds mm. like as you go through, especially placements, you're doing different things and you see each other as much. Is that yeah. like a fair evaluation? Or? Yeah, that is a really fair evaluation. Because I think you th you'd think that we'd all be quite close-knit. But I think because of how our medical degree at Bristol works, we all get put on different medical placements all around Bristol. So actually, a majority of the time, ever since third year onwards, I've always been based um, either Taunton, Yeovil, Bath, you know, all of these different places, Gloucester. Um, and actually, some of these are a good hour away from Bristol. So 
you're in kind of these very small knit groups. So you get quite close with the people you're there with, but actually the rest of your year, you might not see for the last three years of med school. (laughs) So yeah, you kind of just see everyone from afar most of the time. Yeah, that's mad. Do you have, because obviously there are other unis like Bath around, uh, do you Mm -hmm. see other like Bath medics or is it still like? No, not really actually. I think once when I was in Swindon, um, you got you got to see like the Oxford medics because they yeah. were at the same hospital, but I mean to be honest, you actually don't really run into anyone else. So that's crazy. You're kind of all doing your own thing. You're all there, but you're all doing your own thing. Yeah, so. yeah. Is that something you knew before you started the course? I feel like people that study medicine always know everything. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> we definitely do. Um, <laughs> what's that exam? B Bmat or something? Is it? B- yes, Bmat. Yeah, oh goodness, like... that was hard. I remember doing the Bmat. <laughs> I actually never sat sat the UK cat. Um, and um, Bristol only recently brought that in because when I applied to Bristol, they didn't actually did do the UK CAP or BMAT. Wow. So you could just get on through interview, which is how I guess I got in, um, and you know CV and all of that good stuff. <laughs> so uh, yeah, no, that was a very very hard exam, and I hated it. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, but um, mm. for a lot of the London unis, you need like BMAT and things. But I mean, forever now, I feel like I'm just going to be taking exams. So I think I've got to get used to it, I think. <laughs> yeah. When did the exams stop as a medic? When do they stop? If ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe as a consultant. I don't know. Um, I think that's probably when you can say you've finished training. But with medicine, you never truly stop learning. That's the thing. There's always a new treatment. There's always a new drug. There's always something new some new innovation whether that's technology pharmacology you know everything and anything medicine is always progressing and advancing so you have to stay up to date with the nice guidelines keep on top of things all the time essentially what i've learned in med school there will be completely different protocols for the time that i'm you know a registrar or a consultant everything is constantly changing so even if there were never ever any medical exams just the fact that I need to constantly be learning is just always just going to be, you know, a basic principle um, as being someone in in the medical profession. So, yeah, that's nuts. I mean, I guess it's a good thing. Like, at least now I know my doctors are going to be like, <laughs> well, if they're doing a good job, they'll be on top of the guidance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine like going by to have like some surgeries. Oh, this is a new, how does this work again? Like... <laughs> well, honestly, you'd be surprised though, because um, some of these you know, new surgeries or new procedures or um, new surgeries, they generally, you know, only come out in the last few years. Wow. So, I mean, you'd like to think that, you know, your doctor has done these things routinely for years and that may very well be the case, but because things are changing so much all the time, you do have to stay very practical and very adaptive um, and constantly be learning and adapting to new things. Um but I don't think it's a bad thing. Ultimately, these treatments are always better. We're always trying to improve medicine. Yeah. So even though it's new, um, ultimately it's for the good of patients and ultimately will lead to better um, outcomes. Um, so that's always our hope anyway. Nice. This must, I feel like uh, we've got to get into a fight about this next question. <laughs> I've been looking at how medicine works and there's a lot of machines here. It's a lot of like engineering. Like I mentioned to you earlier, but yes. I saw your electives online. It's like there's so many tech here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's your perspective on like, I mean, obviously the whole AI taking over is a bit of an extreme push. Sure, sure. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> from on a spectrum of like, 
leeches medicine versus yep. like complete AI. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where do you think we are? And like, where do you think the sweet spot is? Hmm. So I think where we are at the minute, I would say is a good six, seven in terms of how much technologies really influence medicine. You know, MRIs, CTs, ECGs, just all of this basic technology that's routinely part of medicine. Um, it's only, you know, continu- continuing to um, develop. So I think maybe in a few years time, it might even be as far as eight, but okay. I don't think we'll ever get to 10 because yeah. to be honest, I mean, I don't really care how good the computer is. There is something about medicine and it being a very human specialty. You can't replicate the kind of experience you get when you have that doctor and patient relationship. I think that will always remain true. And the more that technology develops, we only find out more things. We find out more diagnoses. We make um, the level of treatment that patients need more complex. But that only means we need more, you know, humans are being involved to kind of work this out and think, where do we go from here? Because we're finding out new things all the time. And I think patients will always want to speak to someone about their problems. And one of the greatest things about medicine is that just being listened to is so therapeutic in itself. So I think as a medical student, especially, I haven't always been able to do lots of things on the ward, you know, prescribing drugs and you know, giving someone um, my own kind of treatment. But I've been there as a medical student often just to talk to patients, to hear their stories. And you'd be surprised by how much they actually appreciate that, especially when they're, you know, alone, probably quite frightened and anxious being in hospital, not showing, not sure what's going to happen to them. Having someone to listen to them is um, actually quite a great thing to do. Mm. That's really powerful. Have you got any, I mean, I don't know how doctor-patient confidentiality mm-hmm. works, but like, <laughs> yeah. what's like the most interesting story I guess you have from like days on, days on job? Days on job. <laughs> um, honestly, I've, it's been, you know, five years as a medical student. So there's yeah. just been so many conversations with patients. So it's really hard to nail it down to just one. Um, but I mean, I guess I've been, you know, in the eye clinic recently. So if I can think from literally last week, um, we had like a patient um, with like a genetic eye disease. Oh, wow. So he um, was, you know, school age teen and um, he'd been having trouble looking at things near. So if you imagine like reading your books or um, studying at school, he was just finding that really difficult and they weren't sure why. And um recently he got like a scan in the back of the eye and it showed that he had this um like macular disease um so it's called like best disease um and it looks a bit like a fried egg when you see it on a scan (laughs) like his Um, eye or (laughs) yeah in the eye in the back of the retina um and essentially it's like a genetic disease um and he probably won't be able to kind of drive and things ever so that was quite a big diagnosis to have at such a young age knowing that your eyesight what for one, you know, will only get worse and it's going to stop you doing a few things. You might have to be, you know, registered as, you know, partially sighted at points. That kind of knowing that going forward and knowing yeah. there's nothing you can do, that there's no cure as well. Um, it's quite, you know, sad to to see and like have that dawn on you. Yeah. Um, and them. So, yeah, just realising 
you know, what patients go through with these kind of diagnoses and things. Um, I don't know, it's just interesting watching the whole thing play out, I suppose, because you're yeah. there with them through that whole journey. There's like, you know, finding out what's wrong and um, trying to explain it to them um, so that they can comprehend it. So, yeah. Yeah. Is that ever been challenging? Because um, we talked about it earlier, like mm-hmm. um, how long the words are. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> you have to be like, okay, so. <laughs> Don't even get me started on the medical terms. Yeah. It's like speaking a foreign language, isn't it? <laughs> Because if I was told, like, you have this disease, it's like, can you tell me what... <laughs> yeah, can you tell me a bit like... more about that? Yeah. Um, so, essentially, you have... Um, I mean, I could go for days and days about, you know, like, the ins and outs and all these, like, <laughs> funny retinal disorders. And I think, actually, the truth is, patients don't really need to understand, like, the physiology and, like, why this happens. And actually, to be honest, sometimes for medicine, we don't even know why this happens you know it's genes mm. um you know and sometimes just being a bit unlucky sometimes just random chance you know some people develop this sort of stuff so um i think more importantly with patients and how we communicate with them we just want to try and give them the best treatment so we often focus more on what we're going to do going forward rather than mm. understanding you know, why the disease happened in the first yeah. place. And that's more for researchers so that they can find better treatments. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I guess medicine <laughs> is just so complicated. That's the thing. And I guess <laughs> doctors often seem like they know everything. <laughs> and actually, you know, we don't, but we don't need to, you know. Yeah. Um, where they're just there to, to help patients and try and give them the best quality of life that they can, regardless of what disease they have, regardless of what illness they have, um, and just try and make them um, them well again if we can. Um, and if they can't, just enhancing that in any way possible. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I guess it's a good way, to, a good code to live by, I guess, as a doctor. It's like, yeah. we're here to figure out what, what's happening next. How are we going to fix this? Yeah. It's yeah. quite similar to how we think in engineering. It's like just problem solving. Yeah, it is. It is a lot of problem solving. Because I guess first you want to find out what's wrong. Um, and then ultimately, you know, what we can do about that. And um, often we don't know why things happen. Why do some people get cancer? Why do some people get ill? Why do some people get the common cold and other people don't? Just yeah. basic questions we truly will maybe never understand. Um, and medicine is constantly trying to answer these questions all the time. Um, but Matt, the fact is, you know, we may never know. Maybe we're not meant to know. <laughs> but um, Have you ever thought about, like, being a researcher? Um, I have to say, no, not really. Okay. I'm very much a people person. Mm. So one of the reasons I even went into medicine in the first place is because I like interacting with people. Yeah. Um, I like talking to people. I like you know getting to know people I like to know their stories what makes them tick and um as a researcher you're kind of behind the scenes aren't you you're Mm. there you know looking at test tubes or that's how (laughs) I think about it you know people pipetting things into a test (laughs) tube and I remember you know in science that was okay but (laughs) I was very much wanting to be kind of at the front line talking to people and um yeah a researcher i don't think really gets to do that so it's not really for me yeah. but respect to all those people that do do that because <laughs> um their work is obviously re- very very important yeah i mean they made the vaccine where we are now so. they did <laughs> they did so thanks thanks to all the researchers that did that um and yeah i mean the covid vaccine i think is amazing i've already had my 
two yeah. jabs. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think we just have to be so thankful that, especially as well in our developed world, we have access to that. I mean, how far has medicine come? The fact that it's been a year and they were able to turn over a vaccine. I think people don't understand how amazing that in itself as a concept is, how long it takes usually for vaccines to come out. Yeah. It took a year, one year. Yeah. And I think people are really not appreciating how amazing that is, just to, just to take a step back. Um, so I'm so grateful that ultimately, you know, we're help, it's basically helping us go back to normal. This is our way out. Um, and there's been so much controversy about the vaccine. You know, is it too quick? Yeah. Is it safe? Is it this? Is it that? And, you know, some people in the developing world would give their left arm to have this vaccine, you know? Mm. And um, I think since we've had the vaccine, the cases in the UK have definitely dropped. And I think that is testament to the fact that it's working. Um, so... Yeah, I don't know, I find it slightly frustrating sometimes, I think, when people don't realise how great this is and they're worried about side effects and this and that and nothing's ever without risk. But the benefits that we're having with it just far outweigh the risks for me. Yeah. And that's my personal perspective, I think, especially as a medical professional. Yeah, I do feel like people kind of jump to conclusions with these vaccines. If no one's actually done the research... Exactly, uh, exactly. I remember reading like, okay, so Johnson & Johnson was a bit less effective based on whatever the number stands for. Mm. But it was like, what actually is that 66% that they've quoted? Because mm -hmm. when you actually read mm -hmm. into it, it's like the number of deaths is basically zero after mm -hmm. the vaccine. Uh, transmission rates are far lower. Yeah. So what does it really mean to be like effective and what's actually a good number? Like, mm -hmm. I, I have no idea how effective my um, chickenpox jab was. <laughs> 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 or like tetanus. But yeah. suddenly because it's COVID, it's like, oh no, I need to know exactly what's going on here. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like that's just driving a lot of hysteria and a lot of like... Yes, I think it's the hysteria for me. I think the most frustrating thing is that people won't listen to scientists, to researchers, <laughs> yeah. people who are experts in their field. Like this is what they do. And they're willing to believe basically some hoax, you know, that they've read on Facebook. Yeah. And, you know, if there were maybe some facts behind it or some evidence... I would be the first person to take a step back and say, oh, okay, let me hear your point of view. But the truth is, a lot of this stuff is just completely made up. There's no evidence behind it. Um, and they're more willing to believe that. The people that are just coming up with theories and things about microchips being, you know, <laughs> they're just all gonna track us. I'm like, yeah. you can, they can track people on your phone already, okay? Um, I mean, I am so pro-vaccines um, and uh, they've literally changed, you know, the world really. I mean, they've eradicated diseases completely, things like smallpox in the yeah. past. I mean, that is literally non-existent now. I mean, mm. how crazy is that from vaccines? They're shown to be so, so effective. Um, so yeah, go vaccines because I'm so <laughs> pro. So if anyone's listening, go get your vaccines because... They're great. Yeah, I love it. Get your vaccine so you can go back outside. Right? Yes, exactly. I'm like, don't people want to go back to normal? Come on. <laughs> I haven't even got mine yet. I feel like... Oh, have you not got one yet? Did it say end of June, end of July, I think the government said? 
maybe, maybe. Up over 18s, yeah. but I mean. <laughs> I think it's great as well how quickly they've managed to roll out the vaccine as well. It's yeah. just been, um, I actually was in one of the vaccination clinics. Oh. So I was just like an administrator. I wasn't actually injecting people, but um, just seeing how structured it was. It was, you know, like 10 minutes, each person, each person, each person, just out the door, out the door, out the door. Yeah. Um, really, really great and like really effective and really efficient. So yeah, whoever's been in charge of this vaccine rollout has done a very good job, I have to say. Yeah, man, I think we're one of the top 10, I think in the world, in terms mm. of like per I mean, it saved us really because so. we were from probably being one of the worst <laughs> countries to kind of re- re- redeeming ourselves <laughs> a little bit, maybe. Yeah, for real. I mean. Not going to go into politics on this podcast, but mm. I mean <laughs> but that's I a dangerous think. topic. You get me started on that. I better keep my mouth quiet. I think. Yeah. <laughs> maybe like a we do bonus episode or something. Or... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you get started. <laughs> but no, nah, I feel like I feel like the the one bit of politics I'm going to get out here is like I feel like the biggest problem with COVID was this poor leadership. Not just in the UK, yeah, but like across I the world. It's like agree. what I is have going to on. Agree. Here. Just. You know what? It doesn't take a lot to just say, wear your mask all the time. Yeah. You don't have to say, wear it here, here, and here, but not here, here, and here. The mm. guidance was so vague, so confusing. You didn't know if you're coming or going. You didn't know what the rules were from you know one day to the next. So constantly changing, so unspecific. It's hard to know if you're doing the right thing. Yeah. And I think after that, a lot of people just decided to just give up and just say you know what i'm gonna go outside i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do that because you know what's the point when you're so disorganized as i have to say the government was very disorganized and that's called about all this guidance yeah how can you take them seriously honestly you know why would you follow the guidance that is so haphazard and all over the place I mean, even, you know, someone like me, I try to set a good example as, you know, a medical professional. You feel like, you know, you need to be doing the right things. It's all for kind of the greater good, as it were, and protecting the vulnerable. Mm. Um, But it's hard when the government itself have literally been, you know, hypocritical and breaking their own rules. The whole scandal, you know, Dominic Um, Cummings, just for starters, you know. And defending him as well (laughs) after that he had the audacity to defend his actions yeah so when you see people going outside and breaking the rules and you're at home you know trying to do the right thing it does Mm. make you lose faith a little bit so i did have a bit of empathy for people in the sense that um it didn't seem like one size fit all there was a lot of um yeah discretion there yeah, that's quite a turbulent time at the start of uh, the lockdowns, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll save that for your YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah. Let's get another video done today, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you think about, I guess, so that slightly girls get off the topic, but mm. still in that vein, like the way public health knowledge has been like, you know, I guess, communicated to the people. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like we don't really know what's been going on, not just with COVID, but in general, people mm. don't really understand how health works i mean there's the basics like don't eat too much fatty foods like yeah brush your teeth twice a day yeah but i feel like there's a a net where we just don't understand a lot of things that's a lot more important than we value like washing your hands Mm. i mean as a guy (laughs) i often see see you go into the toilet do what you got to do and this is very issuing is it (laughs) (laughs) i'm just like i hear this from a lot of men actually (laughs) 
I've always had like a hand sanitizer in my car. And my friends are like, why do you have that? Like, yeah. I'm like, because I'm clean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't like getting any illness, let alone mm. COVID. But mm. do you feel like there's some sort of net between like what you know as a doctor or you know medical professional versus mm-hmm. what people should know? Yeah, I think definitely. Um, I guess as a doctor, um, I think you are, I guess at the pinnacle of kind of like medical knowledge like you like to think you are you have the accurate knowledge of like yeah what is a good thing what is a bad thing um and i think the truth is there's so much miscommunication and bad science out there that's just spewed all over the internet if i wasn't in the medical profession i would be in the exact same boat as everyone else purely because i don't know what's right and i don't know what's wrong how would you know um and being in the medical profession, you can say concretely, this is correct. You know the correct stats, you know you know what's just a myth and what's not. Yeah. But being just in the public eye, I do empathize because there is no way for you to truly know unless you hear it from a medical professional yourself. Yeah. And by that point, they don't know what to believe because there's so much crazy stuff out there, you know? Yeah. So I think... As a medical professional, I like to kind of speak up and say when the vaccine came out, I was very, very pro, you know, all my friends getting it. I convinced my dad to get it. I convinced my mum to get it. I convinced one of my best friends to get it Mm. um, because I was very forthcoming about spreading awareness. And I felt that it was almost like a responsibility to do so. And I felt that um, there's miscommunication and I wanted to try and clear that up and if I could just impact some people um, that were close to me I felt like I'd done a good thing there yeah I like that I definitely feel like you you know who to trust sometimes like if I see you post something Mm. or like another medical student it's like yeah that's probably right yeah (laughs) yeah it's like that tweet from that egg account well this is the thing right so as an engineer if I had a problem you know to do with engineering I guess (laughs) yeah I would feel more implied to believe you than I would to believe say one of my medical friends because what do they know about engineering right yeah um and in the same way I feel that the public should maybe be a bit more receptive to maybe what medical professionals have to say Mm. rather than listening to all this hoax and hysteria on on the internet from people that actually have no idea how vaccines work yeah and until you understand how things work and you've truly educated yourself on it, then maybe I'll listen to your opinion. But mm. don't speak about something that you don't know anything about. Like, be open, be willing to listen to other people, be, you know, eager to educate yourself properly from, like, accurate sources. Um, yeah, I remember hearing... Um... There was a microchips and there was also 5G. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. The 5G. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. So funny. And the person, someone told me that, oh, 5G is a problem. Yeah. As they pulled out yeah. that like, brand new iPhone 12 or 5 I'm like, what are you? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, people this? are so hypocritical. I mean, we've had so many vaccines growing up in our life as well. Yeah. And they've probably stopped, you know, a fair amount of the population dying up to this point. Yeah, that's from, true. From, you know, basic things like tetanus and all of these things that have basically disappeared because of vaccines. Um, and we saw how devastating um, not having vaccines have been. You know, have we seen all these measles outbreaks because yeah. there was that really, really poorly done 
study um, looking at the link between autism and the MMR, MM, uh, MMR jab. <laughs> jab. Yeah, yeah. So after that, we we know that that was completely false. There is no link, and we can say that concretely, fact, there is no link between autism and that vaccine. Mm. But the t- like the legacy has just been left there now, you know? Yeah. People are scared to vaccinate their kids. And as a result, over the years, we saw this huge spike in measles. And that, I think, is just terrible because such a small study like that had such a huge impact and now long-lasting impacts. You know, the number of people that died Mm. because of, you know, like a measles outbreak that was completely unnecessary and it's completely untrue. But it's hard to then change people's opinions once you get like a link like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like the blood clots and the vaccine. Oh yeah, yeah, Oxford one, AstraZeneca, is it? Yeah, mm. people are so worried about the blood clots. And the truth is, there may be a tiny, tiny, tiny risk. And we have people looking into the safety of the vaccine. But the truth is, if you compare the risk of blood clots with this vaccine, it's minuscule, completely irrelevant, honestly. Mm. And all things have, you know, side effects, all treatments, all drugs, all things have side effects. But the risk of the blood clots is so small. If you compare it to, say, the contraceptive pill, Mm. there is a huge, huge risk, actually dangerous, quite dangerous risk with the contraceptive pill Mm. for blood clots. And we educate girls when we give them the contraceptive pill of this risk and to then be worrying you know about a blood clot with the vaccine okay fine but it's so small it's almost irrelevant yeah and i think people not understanding the level of risk of that side effect Mm. just completely skews their opinion on it um unnecessarily and I think that's just quite frustrating when yeah. you literally have, you know, thousands and thousands of girls literally taking contraceptive pills that have a like much higher risk of blood clots. And here we are worrying about the literally the rare risk of it happening with this vaccine. Yeah. I don't know. It just that's doesn't actually, really uh, add up. So That's an interesting perspective. Like I've never thought about that before. Mm. It's crazy how you can be like a, a young girl. It's like, oh yeah, I just have this contraceptive pill, you'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But then like a year later, it's like, oh no, under 18, it's like this vaccine's not safe because it's, I mean, it's way more safe mm. than the pillars, but <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just because of what people yeah. say, like, yeah. I really like find it interesting from a uh, stats perspective, I guess, like as, as I'm a numbers man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you always see how people receive certain su- certain studies. Yeah. I feel like it's a problem at institutional level where people are just scared to put out the negatives. Like if you could find the link between like chocolate and diabetes, we would, oh yeah, let's put that straight away. Yeah. Even if there are 20 other studies that prove it wrong. Yes. You, you only really hear about the, the newsworthy ones. Yeah. And I think this is what we talk about when we say bad stats. Yeah. Because there are so many bad stats in the sense that you can get one study, just one, maybe proving that your hypothesis that, I don't know, you know, the vaccine is unsafe. Yeah. Just one. But there's 99 others on the internet that have shown that it's actually safe. Yeah. So people like to find something that backs up their opinion. <laughs> so I guess if they can find that one site, they can say, look, look, look. Do you know yeah. what I mean? If you actually look up on the internet, is the world flat? 
there will be studies <laughs> that say that that is the case, right? Yeah. But we all know now the world's round, right? Okay. <laughs> so, and the trouble is as well, the algorithm on the internet, it makes you look for things that you've been searching for. Yeah, so yeah, if yeah. you spent enough time on the internet all day looking for is the earth flat, you'll find so many articles maybe that you might actually believe that the world is flat. Yeah. Um, you go down the rabbit hole, they say. Yeah, you go down <laughs> the rabbit hole. And um, in the same way, you know, these people that maybe believe in the microchips, believe in the 5G, they keep going down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, and it's very hard at that point to try and convince <laughs> them of anything otherwise because they're kind of blinded by by their views. And um, yeah, I guess the, the whole thing is built up on scepticism in the sense they don't want to believe the majority they don't believe the medical professionals they yeah. believe we're out to get you which isn't <laughs> the case um so yeah it's hard it's hard what do you do yeah for sure i mean just for the flat earth is out there the flat the earth absolutely is round please yeah. buy the map. <laughs> disclaimer <laughs> is it going to be made like... disclaimer the earth is flat <laughs> <laughs> but no it's true i mean i can go all day about like bad stats I find, yeah what i really love is um <laughs> Is like climate change disbelievers. Like, oh, there's literally yeah. like a billion studies that proves, proves climate change is a real thing. Yeah, and this is one yeah, guy that's like, nah, yeah. nah, trust me. This yeah, <laughs> there's some people you just can't convince. They're never yeah. going to come around. So you've got to leave those to it. Yeah, just don't drink bleach to kill COVID. That's that's my one tip from this podcast. Oh, really? <laughs> Definitely not heard that one. Where's that from? That was uh, Trump, I think. Really? Yeah. It was oh, like goodness a gracious. drink, um, is it Clorox or like some brand? It just happened to be like Oh, wow. Bleach. Well, I've never <laughs> been a Trump supporter, so there we go. <laughs> yeah, shout out to the UK, the slightly less racist America. Let's go with that. But. <laughs> well, I didn't even know if I even believed that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to get so much trouble for this one. <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely going to be a controversial podcast, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, actually, I also, um, I want to re- revisit that question. Like, mm. um, I mentioned like BMAT and I feel like medics kind of know what they're getting into before medicine. Mm. Uh, but like to rephrase that from earlier, like did you, was there much that you you didn't know when you came into your degree? I mean, I guess the first thing you said there was that I kind of knew what I was getting into. <laughs> I don't think I did. <laughs> um, I think nothing can really prepare you for med school or being a doctor nothing um you you think you know what's involved but you don't really (laughs) um my experience of med school was completely different to what I thought it was going to be but I don't know in in good ways as well and um it's been obviously you know intense and demanding at times um and I think with any degree course it always is yeah. But actually, I've experienced so much and been humbled so much by, I think, the whole experience. Everything I've seen, everything I've been able to witness. Um, there's something about being a medical professional, being a med student, being able to kind of get into this world that no one else knows about. Um, to be able to talk to people about things that no one else would talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be able to see things that normal people just don't see, you know, um, you get to know someone's, you know, life story when you talk to them about, I don't know, mental health problems, talking about their depression, why they are the way they are, yeah. knowing what makes them tick, um, being in the hospital, seeing women give birth, um, you know, crazy, like momentous events in people's life. Um, yeah 
breaking bad news, all of this stuff, you're right there, front and center through it all. And there's something quite poignant and um, rewarding just about that whole experience and really enlightening. Um, and I think that's something that you can never really prepare for in med school because it's so much more than just learning about the physiology of the body and knowing how it goes wrong and knowing what we do about that to treat them. It's all about the patient yeah. and it's all about knowing what's right for them because um, I think medicine now has become a lot more personalised Okay. because everyone actually maybe wants different things. What's good for someone else is not the right thing for a different person that has the exact same disease. Mm. Um, some people care more about being comfortable than they do than at actually being treated. Sometimes you don't treat someone. Sometimes the best thing is to do nothing. Mm. And it's learning that really complex relationship with patients, knowing what is the best thing for that one person specifically, knowing what actually addresses their values their um, needs in, in life yeah. is sometimes more important than the actual medicine. Mm. Uh, and that's think, something I've learned Okay, um, going to med school. Yeah. That's fascinating. I mean, you mentioned like the whole human aspect of it. Mm. You talked about mental health. Like, did you have any modules that focus on like how to deal with people, uh, how to address like mental mm -hmm. health um, concerns, or was it just something you kind of learn on the job? I'd say a lot of it is experience and learning on the job. There's obviously um, things that we're taught to do and we're taught how to structure a consultation. Okay. Um, we're taught how to um, communicate with patients and there's always like a start, a middle and end to a consultation and you try and follow that to an extent. Um, you are taught in some ways to do specific things that are more sensitive like breaking bad news. There's often like a structure to that as well. Mm. Um, but I think to be honest, you do have to as well find your own way of doing things as well. I'd mm. say every doctor that I've met has their own style okay. and you'll notice that as soon as you sit in a consultation with them. And for me, like, I guess I'm finding my own style as well. And you're constantly adapting and changing to that all the time. Um, so yeah, it's like an interesting process to go through. I yes, guess. that's nice. I wish I bought someone to like do a mock conversation with them, like just to see how you do it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe we can do a rock one later. We'll do another another podcast. But um, yeah, got the ideas flowing. That is really <laughs> Would you have liked like a module to actually deal with like how to deal with mental health or like how to talk to people? Mm. I mean. I think it'd be quite a lot to do like a whole module on it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because medicine's so broad in itself to then spend another whole time on that would be also quite a lot to do. Mm. There's definitely, um, especially at Bristol, they do like to focus on the holistic aspects. So addressing all aspects of a patient, spiritual, physical, mental, they do touch on that. And there have been um, different modules where we have done that in the past. Um, so I think the trouble is because medicine's so broad, you it's can't ever address everything. everything. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> so you try and address as much as you can and give the general um, general ideas and you know how you would do it for most things. But as always, there's always going to be something new that crops up that you've never had to deal with before. Yeah. And you just have to take everything that you've learned and use that and try and apply it in the best way possible.
Yeah, I like that. I guess I was asking because, like, in engineering, we do a lot of group work, a lot mm-hmm. of projects. Mm-hmm. And you start to notice, like, this guy has no idea. <laughs> 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 I think, yeah. uh, especially now with COVID and, like, yeah. um, digital working, there are some guys who have no group working skills at all. Mm. And in engineering, you can get away with it. Like, if you're good at maths, you can mm. kind of get away with being a bad team player because you're mm-hmm. smart. Mm-hmm. But I thought medicine is, like, the one industry where you can't just be smart. You have to be, like, holistic. You have to be, like, yeah. an actual good person yeah. of, like, Maybe we don't, don't have to have good morals, but yeah. <laughs> you'd like to think you're I mean, you'd like to morals. think they do. <laughs> I mean, I think, yeah, with, with what you're saying there, I think my perspective on that is that anyone can be a doctor. Yeah. If you work hard enough, you can learn the knowledge and you can treat people, but very few people can be a good doctor. Okay. And that good encompasses someone that... Um, goes out of their way for the patient to kind of get to know them and personalises their treatment for them um, and is able to communicate with them, um, way to make them feel constantly informed about everything that's going on and um, feels reassured and comes out the other side and regardless of what happens, because sometimes, you know, medicine, we're, we're only human at the end of the day, we can't mm. always save everyone. But you'll know, I think, um, especially as a patient, whether you feel like your doctor's truly there for you and listening to you. And um, being a good doctor is a hard thing to do. Yeah, and yeah. that is purely, I think, through the rapport and how you communicate. And developing that skill is, I think, sometimes something that can't be taught in a way. Hmm. Um, yeah. I think you can always get better yeah. at that. But... Um, Sometimes there's some doctors, I think, that have that just innate skill with, like, connecting with people. Mm. Um, and, yeah, developing that, I think, is really, really important as a doctor, I think. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. I understand that. I'd like to think all doctors have um, a, a well-thought-out style. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm just a, a very, like, an anime person. I like superpowers. <laughs> I like to think there's, like, the, the smiley doctor, like, yeah. oh, what's that book series called? Mr. Men. Mr. I like to think there's a doctor for like each Mr. Man, like Mr. Tall, Mr. Uh, Small. Okay, yes. Oh my God, that was the best series. Yeah, that was a um, yeah, really cool series. I've not thought of those books in ages now, actually. Um, I just yeah. think they're so relevant. Yeah. Maybe I'm just too judgy, but it's like, yeah, he's definitely a Mr. Smiley. Like. Yeah, I mean, that goes back, I think, to just explaining how each doctor has their own style, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think, yeah, as long as you have your own style and... Um, use that and you feel that that works for you I think just carry on yeah yeah okay I think we talked a lot about like like placement like actual medicine but mm. I want to ask a bit more about like as a student like actually studying medicine yeah one yeah. thing that's always kind of bothered me well I don't know if this is mm-hmm. a, if this is the fact mm. but I remember growing up I was googling like how does this rash look how does this like scar look and mm. you're always seeing like white skin <laughs> I'm like oh crap like I yeah. don't know if this is yeah. how this is supposed yeah. to look. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm scrolling for hours and I'm like, I just can't find how this thing looks on a black person. Like, right. I wonder if there's, yeah. I know it's a bit, a bit of a, kind of a left question from what we've been talking about. But mm. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious as to your perspective on like, how medicine's actually taught. Because yeah. it seems like there's a, a gap in knowledge between like, more of the ethnic side yeah. uh, versus just how they think things are supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm I not sure agree. if I'm articulating that right, but... No, no, I, I totally get what you're coming from. Yeah. So I guess you're basically stating the fact there's quite a big gap in terms of um, 
medicine and how we treat people in like BAME communities, people of um, ethnic minorities. Yeah. And I think that is quite institutional in the sense that a lot of research that's carried out is actually, you know, among white men. And as a result, I think a lot of the treatments are tailored for them. And when you Google images, there's a big documentary now just seen on BBC, um, BBC that's come out looking at black patients and, um, you know, cases being missed because the conditions that we learn about in the textbooks, they don't look the same on black skin. So if they don't look the same on black skin, how are you meant to diagnose something that you've never learned about, that you've never seen before? So I think, you know, the gap is being somewhat more recognised now and realising how big a problem that is because, you know, patients' lives are at stake here. If I, as a medical professional, um, am not able to do my job and diagnose someone properly um, in those um, black and ethnic minority groups. So I guess going forward, it's not a quick fix either, which is also the problem. Yeah. How do you know now go back to the basics? And there's so much research now that has to be done in those black communities to try and address this gap but it's going to take years but I think we have to be committed to wanting to narrow that gap and doing everything we can and you know recently even my university have been trying to address that they recently brought a new book it's called close the gap mm. and it actually shows medical conditions in black skin and how that looks compared to white skin okay. and it's you know it was written i think by a medical student which i think is phenomenal it's crazy um so yeah a kudos to um the guy that wrote the book because i think it was only recently published but mm. um it's little things like that that are going to help us as medical professionals educate ourselves better because yeah. it all stems from us really wanting to know um wanting to educate ourselves about um BAME communities and um, yeah, wanting to do that for for our patients to give them the best best um, the best possible care. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. What are your general thoughts on like the, the teaching style of mm, medicine? Mm. Um, I mean, in general, it's hard to say and give like a broad perspective because each university as well has their own okay. style. So Bristol, when I first arrived, was traditional. Um, yeah. you had your two years of lectures and you kind of felt like a normal student in many ways and from year three onwards um, I've been in the hospital medical placement um, Bristol's actually now changed its course so it's very much CBL so case-based learning it's mm. a lot more clinical a lot more practical a lot more looking at cases and learning that way yeah. um, which was something that um, I like slightly less for me because I like to know the basics first and having that good foundation but I can see in the future how this course is going to be really great for doctors and maybe make them better doctors because they are more practical and they're used to um, learning off of a more case-based style and I can see how that is really useful so I think it depends where you go um, if you have more traditional style if you have maybe a mixed style of the two each mm. university is different okay I didn't even realise they had different yeah. medication. Yeah, you wouldn't know, <laughs> would you? I mean, that's the crazy thing as well. Each doctor's training is just so different. I think as a doctor, you think everyone must go through the same style. Yeah. Everyone must learn all of the same things. And that's definitely not the case. Mm. Um, some universities focus on different aspects of the course more than others. 
Um, I mean, even just being in the same year group, I'm sure we've all experienced different types of patients. So we've all, you know, even in the same year group, we've all learned different things to different extents. We yeah. all have the basic knowledge there, but depending on what we've seen in our medical placements, depending on how much we've read up in the books, there's always, you know, going to be varying levels um, of what we know about each specialty. I mean, for me, I know so much about, say, ophthalmology and eyes probably compared to some of my fellow fellow um, classmates purely yeah. because of the interest in it. Mm. So um, medicine is so broad and um, I <laughs> yeah. think you do have to, you know, pick and choose somewhat as well. So just knowing what's common is key mm. um, so that you're able to just recognise the common things that crop up or the, you know, life threatening things are really important looking out for those red flags as long as you know all of that then i think ultimately is you can be you know a safe practicing doctor and i think that's what med school is all about at the end of the day yeah yeah okay that's cool mm-hmm. i feel like i don't know most medical students you have law students that are like what suits like yeah i want to do law mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i feel like you have medical students so like what's Grey's anatomy is like yeah i'm going to be like an operation yeah operator, yeah yeah. At what point did you grow up and be like, I really, I just really like eyes? And <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yes, yeah, quite a few people have asked this question because they're like, how do you know? Like, what made you suddenly interested in it? Mm. And I actually would say a large part of it was for me, it was that I was good at knowing what I didn't like. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was actually kind of the starting block for me because, um, you know what? I may be a doctor and I may be in the medical professional, but the truth is, I realised I didn't like all the blood and the guts and the gore <laughs> yeah. and the, you know, seeing unwell patients. You know what? I didn't actually like that. Mm. Um, and eyes and ophthalmology, it's actually quite a clean specialty in many ways. You're just dealing okay. with the eye. Mm. And I love surgery. I like medicine. Ophthalmology is perfect because it's the perfect mix of both. I get to do my really intricate surgery um, that's done under a microscope that's got a really high attention to detail. I'd be so scared. <laughs> <laughs> For me, I just think it's such a great, great surgery. Um, mm. I love watching it. I think um, it's amazing as well, like the detail that you need and having a really steady hand because the eye is so small. Doing operations in the eye, any one little wobble, tremor, mm. it can, you know, you can have a complication. Yeah, so yeah. you do have to be on point with everything you're doing. But I think that's very much suited to my personality. Um, just the fact that it's clean as well. I can just focus on the eye. There's not any blood. It's fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I think as well, it's got a good work-life balance as well at the same time. Um, you don't have to really be on call. Rarely are you going to get an unwell patient that comes in is going to be <laughs> yeah. dying because of you know their eye. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you can maybe get big trauma cases, but... They might go blind. That's probably probably the worst thing that could happen, I'd say. But um, nine times out of ten, <laughs> I think, fingers crossed, yeah. um, you don't get any kind of crazy calls in. Um, so that's good. But also, one of the major things for me is why I chose ophthalmology is my area of interest is because it has one of the biggest um, levels of impact. Imagine if you get like a scratch on your skin or on okay. your hand. You know, you probably won't notice that too much. But mm. if you have a scratch on the front of your eye on your cornea, you'll probably see that. And you can do these 10-minute procedures. 
um, 10 minute cataract operations and someone can go from literally perception of light to seeing, you know, 6-6. Six, six. And that's yeah. literally happened before. And patients are so grateful because vision is something that we all take for granted, I think, until it's gone. Mm. So when you see patients literally have a 10 minute operation, suddenly they can see a thousand times better than they could before. They're so thankful. And I found ophthalmology to actually be a really rewarding experience um, for that reason. And actually ophthalmologists, I'd say, are very, very happy overall. Okay. Um, with their job which is nice to see and yeah. I think that gives me comfort that I'm going into the right specialty for me that's crazy I do feel like as you say that I feel like it's the only sensory mm. like, you can't really there's no field for like touches as far as I know I guess taste you could argue is maybe like dentistry but <laughs> <laughs> you're actually dealing with like sight like an actual sense where yeah it literally is fine margins means a lot as mm. a yes as a patient definitely definitely so very high impact I would say um, so that's like crazy that. do you also deal with like lasers or is that a different specialty yes <laughs> well oh, this is the other thing ophthalmology is if you're you know a big kid mm. and you love toys and xbox and all of this <laughs> stuff ophthalmology is literally the specialty for you because it's just been one of those industries where technology has really enhanced ophthalmology in the last maybe 30 years. Mm. Um, we have these new like OCT machines that are like routine practice now and you can see all the layers of the retina. And it's literally crucial, I'd say, for a lot of consultations. But like 30 years ago, we didn't even have these things. Yeah. It's just amazing how far it's come. Every single day I've been in the eye clinic, you know, in the last few <laughs> weeks of my elective, there's been another toy, another new machine to try out, another pressure monitor, another, um, you know, something that auto-refracts you. It's just crazy. Um, but wild. it's one of my favourite things about ophthalmology. It's so up and coming, so progressive. Um, yeah, it's just really, really cool, honestly. So I can't even imagine, like, in a few years' time, they even say that maybe cataracts will be done by robots you know mm. um it's just wild to think how much <laughs> how far we've already come to mm. how far we could already go in you know the next 10 20 years so yeah. i'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen i remember when i went to the opticians because it's like every two years i think you get your eye test mm -hmm. like two would have been three years ago mm -hmm. there was like yeah just look at the uh, the letters or the look at the mm -hmm. bottom row yeah they had this one where they like covered my eye and it's showing the light and that's about it there's like yeah. two machines yeah when yeah. i went back like two years later there was this whole like you can see the back of my uh, retina now it's uh, like yeah. so do you want to pay yeah. 20 pound extra for like the special service i'm like the special service <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'll, i want some of that and uh, <laughs> literally like four or five different machines uh, all doing okay. different things i was yeah. like this wasn't here last yeah. time well this is exactly <laughs> what i'm talking about it's yeah. actually crazy like it blows my mind every single day yeah um because there generally is a new machine every single day <laughs> and people don't even understand like the progression is huge um but it's great because we've been able to improve patient care we've been able to diagnose so many more diseases mm. and i think as well that's why when people are like oh but what about all this technology were they going to come take your jobs that's that's not the case at all. If anything, we're just making us work harder. We've got more diagnoses and more complex cases now, but we are still needed more than ever, if not more so. Yeah, so. that's true. And I guess the robots don't yet do what you do. Like they, they don't do what they we do. They give you more information, <laughs> so that's, that's what you Yeah, need. they give us more information. <laughs> they can stay over there, so we've got a job to do, so. <laughs> It'll be pretty... What film was it? Um, damn it. I think it's Passengers. It's with, like, 
Ah, um, yes, Jennifer I've Lawrence seen it. Says. Yes, I have yeah. seen Passengers. When they go into like crypto chamber thing, it's like diagnosis them. It's like, oh, you have a, oh, yeah. how many? Like, I was like, that's crazy. I mean, to be honest, <laughs> I feel like that could generally be the future at some point. Really? Goodness knows how many years it will take. But I think there will be an extent to a machine will be able to diagnose your condition to an extent. Mm. I think that could very much be a possibility. That's crazy. Yeah. I guess if you have enough like samples of like blood and stuff, mm. maybe the machine can just figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it is amazing actually what technology can do these days. Mm. Um, and I think the progression has been exponential. So if we continue on this you know, rate that we're going, it's only just going to continue to just skyrocket. And um, AL is just becoming so much more prevalent. I'd find it hard to believe that at some point it wouldn't be able to overtake a lot more of the jobs that we're doing at the minute. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, the we'll tech see. is crazy. I think um, I saw a quote from someone on Twitter, of, of all places, mm. where it's like, we just live in a sliver of time where, like, you can't tell the difference between how good a computer really is. Mm-hmm. But objectively, like, the human computer, if you consider a brain that way, mm-hmm. this isn't, it's not as powerful. <laughs> <laughs> and there really is going to be a point in time where it's not even close. Mm. And I think that's going to apply to like, every single sector. Like, I'm excited for the future. Yeah. I guess I have to be, I study it, but <laughs> <laughs> I suppose, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, I have to stay positive, always looking to the future. <laughs> robot. I actually recently saw um, a robot GP or something. Did you? Yeah. Well like this is the where... thing. I just there's so many things that actually, um, as a doctor, you just see time and time and time again, you know? Yeah. Um by that point, I don't see why you couldn't teach a computer to diagnose that when it's yeah. you know, the same thing. So you're seeing day in, day out. I think a computer could easily do that. So, yeah. Yeah, looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need me anymore. <laughs> uh, now we need you to, to be polite to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you just need me there to be nice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just smile and nod in the back. Like. Just smile and nod. Just say hi. Take the survey forms. Like. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm basically a secretary then. Just a secretary. Oh wow! Well, I'm, like I'm just there. I'm just there to turn on the computer at the start of the day, and then I can go home. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, when my, when my mum had cancer, they, she went into this like big microwave thing, and literally was mm. these guys just like turning on the button. It's like, yeah, we're back in half now. Like <laughs> the, oh, the MRI probably. I think the it was donut? the no, no. This was treatment, so it oh, was she okay. had chemo and radiotherapy. Radiotherapy. Yeah. Okay. So okay. just sat in like a big radio room. Big, and it's yeah. like, yeah, we're back in half an hour. Yeah, yeah. Just drink five cups of water. You know, sit on that yeah. chair. And, yeah. <laughs> so that'd be fun maybe I should have studied medical engineering that would have been interesting maybe if maybe. that's even a real thing but <laughs> don't know actually medical but... physics I'll do that one yeah yeah <laughs> maybe nice I guess uh, closing out uh, what advice maybe not advice but like what would you tell you know 18 year old Chanel <laughs> before uh, before going start a new medicine degree oh goodness what would I tell my younger self other than like buy an iPad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love my iPad. Anyone who knows me knows I love my iPad. Um, so I guess I would tell her just enjoy the experience. Um, it's going to be a hell of a five years, a hell of a ride. And there'll be ups, there'll be downs, there'll be turns, there'll be twists. Um, you're going to develop so much um, as a person. And you're going to meet some really great people. And just make sure that you're really present in the moment, that you just, like, enjoy every single day. Make the most of it. Um, And be yourself. 
and don't be afraid to be like authentically you um yeah just basically just go out into the world and just rock you know be confident um be outgoing be your bubbly self don't let anyone try and kind of dampen dampen on your sparkle you know because there are few people as well that won't always want the best thing for you but just like stay true to yourself and stay confident and believe in yourself because you can do it and um you'll come out the other side and there's so many great people in the world as well and like let those people in and just you know try and grow with those people and just be the best self you can be and try and just do your best i love that i should have written it down you? <laughs> <laughs> i'll write it down for you later in my inspirational quotes <laughs> I love it. Um, and lastly, I guess, where can people find you? What are we, what are we plugging? Ooh, I mean, I'm kind of um, on social media quite a bit at the minute. So you can go on my Instagram. It's Miss Shani Smith. Um, I recently started a YouTube channel as well, actually, in lockdown. Um, so I'm always making some fun videos. I'm starting to go back onto YouTube because I went a bit quiet for a minute. Yeah. So um, I'm going to be maybe sharing a few vlogs. So Chanel Smith. Um, Dr. Shani, you can probably find me on YouTube. Um, what else? Yeah, I think that's those are my kind of main channels really at the minute. So yeah, go and check me out if you want to. Yes. I've actually been starting a TikTok as well. So uh, <laughs> okay. maybe <laughs> check out a few TikToks from me. But yeah. Sick. Yeah, I'll put all the links to that in the descriptions of everything. Sweet. Um, and yeah, Chanel, it's been great having you on. Thank you so much for having me. And it's been a pleasure. Everyone get your vaccine so we can go outside.